Hello and welcome to the Tech Marketing Trends podcast. My name is Jacob Leverbrand. I'm the Managing Director of Bright Vision as well as hosting this podcast. And today we're going to talk about a very interesting topic. We have a title for this podcast episode called A Deep Dive into B2B Leadership Best Practices for Change. And the expert I'm going to interview today is Gina Ballerin, Founder, Director and Chief Doubt Connector at Verbalistics. And with that very short introduction, welcome to our podcast, Gina. It's my pleasure to be here, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and uh, as always, it's always exciting to be talking to um, you who is based in Australia, but uh, it's better that you start out maybe by telling a little bit about you, what you do and what you're up to and so forth before we dive into the topic. Well, the reason it's so interesting for me to talk about leadership and change and communication is those are the three fundamental tenets of what I've been doing in marketing for the last 20 years, perhaps without realizing it. I was drawn to marketing because I love the idea of communicating in order to help people change their behavior. But I was also simultaneously repelled by marketing, as you'll hear in, in the TEDx talk I do about marketing in the era of authenticity, because my original preconception was that marketing was the same as advertising. Of course, marketers know that it's not. But at the time, I had this idea that they were. And over the time, I've been able to observe how people behave and communicate and the very deep connection between the way we understand the world, the way we communicate the world around us, and the way that that plays in the psychology of marketing, behavior, and impact. So what do I do? I run Verbalistics, which is a marketing consultancy. I coach marketers in how to get the most out of their marketing, but also by understanding what's going on in themselves. And I write for a living. So I will write white papers or blog posts or books or LinkedIn articles or comments or whatever it is that we need speaking. But what what is really interesting for me is not necessarily the writing. That is simply an outlet. It is understanding the change that needs to happen and how to manage that change and communicate it in a way that makes people excited about doing something different. And I hadn't realized until recently that this was a quite a special skill because I just assumed that everyone can write. And yet there is a difference between being able to write and being able to impart meaning and wisdom. And that's a, a very unique skill, I believe. I agree. I agree. And, and definitely in these days of chat GPT and, and other AI writing robots, it's so important that we connect back to, to uh, the core skill of actually getting written content, driving change and so forth. So I think that's so interesting because there's, there's a lot of tools that can write, but not a lot of things that can move something ahead. So I, I think that's very interesting. So, so, so you're an expert in communication and, and, and uh, writing around those, those things in order to create change. And just to start at the top here um, around B2B leadership and communication. So what's in your experience, what are some of the biggest challenges that leaders face when trying to, to uh, implement change in, a, in an organization today? And, and a little bit yeah. to think about the role that leadership plays and the role that communication plays, because you can think about leadership as being from every element of the business from the bottom right the way to the top. 
So I sit on the board of the Chartered Institute of Marketing and another board. I'm a fellow of the CIM, a fellow of the AMI. I see things from an external perspective as a consultant. But no matter where you sit in that journey, the idea is that everyone has to be able to communicate an intention. I love Dan Pink's uh, book, To Sell is Human. And the reason that I like it is because he talks about the fundamentals of selling as a human activity. If you're trying to convince your spouse to go to a certain movie as opposed to another movie, or you're trying to convince your kids to unpack the dishwasher, you are in effect selling. In order to do that well, you need to understand the nature of the behavior of the people that you're trying to influence. And you know that you're going to get a very different response if you say to someone, go pack, unpack the dishwasher now. Or if you say to them, you know, it's your job to unpack the dishwasher. It's late. Do you want to do it tonight or do you want to do it tomorrow morning? All of a sudden, there's a completely different psychological aspect that you bring. What's changed? Your choice of words, your ability to give people choices, your tone, your empathy incorporated in that language. And it's just a beautiful example of something incredibly simple. Now, I've completely forgotten if I've answered your question. So if I haven't, please go back to the beginning and ask me that question again. No, I, I love that. And, and it's, it's totally true that you know... Communication is a very important part of of uh, change and and moving something ahead and so forth. But I think it's both speaking as a leader myself, uh, who who think it's hard to to run organizations and especially implementing change and so forth. So, what would you speak to leaders about how they effectively can communicate the need for change to their teams members internally and? And what are the best practices you're typically helping them with and, and talking to them around, uh, around this? I think the most important thing for leaders to realize about change is that it is not comfortable for all elements of their team, but also that the, re the resistance to change is not rational. So we assume that to get from A to B, we have to help people understand this is why A has to happen and move to B. Right, so we're changing from to. We assume that logically humans are going to want to change if there are greater benefits for change than there are for doing the thing that they were doing in the first place. But that assumption is based on the logic that humans are logical, which we are not. And so the other problem is that leaders have to assume that their teams are motivated by certain elements. And as we know, human motivations are incredibly complex. If we think that we can simply say, well, you need to do this change because it's better. Better for whom? Better how? Better why? One of the most effective ways to understand how people will respond to change and therefore how you have to communicate it to them is to actually understand that people will always behave differently. So how can you break them down in terms of their likely responses? Well, you can use whatever tools or tactics you want to categorize people in different ways. You might choose, for example, to use a DISC profile where you break people down into the four quadrants of the DISC model, which is dominant, influencer, steady, relator, and compliant. Those four categories tend to describe people who want to get things done, 
people who want to be excited about things, people who want to keep things safe and stable, and people who want to dot the I's and cross the T's. If you're a leader and you want to communicate a reason for change to each of those individuals, you'll need to take four different approaches to be able to help them understand why change is necessary. And unfortunately, the communication styles that need to be used for those different four audiences are going to be different. They're going to need different amounts of information. They're going to need different amounts of time. They're going to need different reasons. And they're going to need different motivations in order to be able to make that change happen. So if you think about change and communication as a complex process, you obviously can't create a change management process for four different types of people. And yet, that is the most effective way of ensuring that you can bring everyone along on that journey. It's not easy, but it kind of helps if you think about who in that process is with me, is on board, sees the reasons and the logic for that change and who is going to, to resent or walk away from that change or who needs a little bit more persuading. And what is it in their makeup of those four quadrants as an example that needs to be addressed in order for them to embrace change fully? So interesting and so true. <clears throat> and have you seen, uh, have you seen or helped an organization actually do this and adapt to different communication styles or rhythms depending on the different quadrants there? And how should you go about practically? Should you have different, you know, <laughs> newsletters or updates, or, or or how do you do that effectively in a big organization or or a small even even a smaller maybe harder? I think a lot of this comes down to an art that marketers are not very good at, usually, and that is listening. Because more often than not, we assume that this change needs to happen. We assume that we know how the change should happen. And we may have done our homework, and we may have done the research, and we may have identified the reasons for the change to take place. But have we actually listened? And I'm not just talking about, hey, what do you think? here's this thing we've already done. Here's the status quo that we've already presented to you. Now, what do you think? No, it's actually about going back and going deeper and asking more questions and to finding out what people's true motivators are. The challenges are that in organizations where there isn't much psychological safety, if you present people with the need for change and say, this is what's happening, they don't have a choice. They don't have a way of expressing themselves. And as a result, they're not going to tell you the truth. Then they're going to tell you what you think you need to hear, or they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. What works more effectively is to be able to go to individuals in a place where they feel psychologically safe and ask them what their insights and opinions are on the change and what they need in order to make it happen for them. Now, I've seen this work well in HR contexts where people actually do a lot of good employee listening. There are various tools and tricks to be able to get employee surveys out there and to get feedback. Um, some organizations did it extremely well during COVID to help people through the transition of working from home or of leaving the office behind or of just being managed in a completely different way. But the challenge there is the same as anything else. You don't have psychological safety. People won't tell you the honest truth in the employee survey. 
And if they feel that their their responses aren't going to be interrogated or they're somehow going to be told off for telling the truth, there is a risk that they won't respond honestly. And as a consequence, they're obviously not going to be able to be listened to and the organization won't be able to make that change happen effectively. But there's another bigger risk. And that bigger risk is that when an organization asks the question and they don't do anything with those responses, employees quickly develop a sense of mistrust and change initiatives take longer and they are harder. Because if, if you think about it, if you promise something and your employee, you've asked your employees for their feedback and you are able to incorporate their feedback and therefore you're able to help them get to that change, everyone may not be happy, but at least they'll understand why. They'll be part of that process. And the unfortunate thing is if you ask employees what they want and you completely and utterly ignore them and don't acknowledge that what they said was important in any way, shape, or form. By the time you get to that change needing to take place, they get genuinely angry. They get disconnected. And what happens is that the psychological safety in an organization is broken. And this actually does come back to communication because communication isn't just about spreading information, about sharing it out, pushing it out there, which historically marketers have been very good at, it's also about being able to adapt communication based on the information that you receive. And that's often a problem with change initiatives, that you only have a certain amount of time for feedback. You don't have time to change the plans that have already been made. You try to incorporate those edits, but you know no one's ever going to be happy. Well, at the end of the day, sometimes people don't need to be happy. They just need to know that they've been heard. Do you work as a sales, marketing, or channel manager and would like to generate great leads to your B2B tech company? Then we are here for you. By creating a qualified sales pipeline and strengthen your position in the tech industry, we help you grow. Depending on your needs, we use effective strategies like inbound marketing, telemarketing, account-based marketing, and paid media. Get more information on brightvision.com. Yeah, totally true. So true, and and um, sounds easy, but I know it's hard <laughs> to to get that <laughs> listening done. But so so important, and and I I totally it totally resonates with me that you know sometimes it's easy as a leader to send out a a survey form that you ask for feedback for different kind of things and never get back on it, you know, and never follow up or follow through, and that that can the fatigue in the organization around you know whatever they never do anything about it that way and so forth and that that is probably a hard place to start a change probably of something like that so yeah so and and we do have a lot of need of innovation and change and getting people to try new things these days uh the speed of technology innovation is is extremely high and disrupting a lot of uh, areas of industries today and so forth. So how do you think as a leader you could, you know, create that self-motivation? Do you see any ways of tending to be more bottom-up and try to get that culture going on on people looking out for... for uh, how how they should adapt or or so or, or change 
instead of pushing down things? Or how do you think organizations can create that communication flow? Oh, gosh, there's a lot in that question. I mean, let's start looking at a couple of things. The one is the quote that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And the second is the idea that you need to be the change you want to see in the world. Now, those are both quotes from famous people whose names I can't recall at this moment. But if you, as the listener, know, please tell your brain that I remembered that originally and, and let's move on on that assumption. So the first is culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, I was writing about this actually today and looked up the original quote and thought, hmm, what they meant by that wasn't that you shouldn't have strategy. The point was that your culture needs to be enabling of your strategy. And no matter how good the strategy is, no matter how great your plans are, if people don't want to do it, they will find ways not to do it. And so actually culture and strategy go hand in hand. Culture should enable strategy, but simultaneously strategy can only be enabled when culture is relevant and valid. That sounds very wordy and dense, so let's use a real life example. Um, I had an organization I worked for years ago where they were literally trying to get people to move from submitting their expenses on spreadsheets to submitting their expenses using an app. The organization had purchased this expensive piece of software to help people do something that theoretically should be easy, but it wasn't easy because they had to change to be able to do it, right? And if you've been doing expenses on a spreadsheet for X many years, you don't really want to have to change to do it differently because you are used to it and it might be awkward and annoying, but it, it's familiar. So they took two approaches. Approach number one was to actively seek out change makers and innovators, cheerleaders, people who wanted to make the change happen, who wanted to be part of that change and who were actively encouraged to learn and grow and develop and figure out all the tips and tricks that, so that they could make it work. And the second approach was not the carrot approach, it was the stick approach, which is that eventually they said, if you do not submit your expenses using this new approach, we will simply not pay you. You have X period of time to get it done, but after that point, sorry, you lose. And in this circumstance, it was relatively easy to be able to mop up you know, the few that didn't quite play by the rules and maybe they got a little bit of an extension, but the fact was that they knew there was a consequence to their action. Change initiatives are so complex and so simple at the same time. How long is a piece of string? You know, not every change initiative is about simply moving from expenses on a spreadsheet to expenses on an app. They're far, far, far more complex. But the principles apply. And that is help people understand why the change has to happen. Get early adopters who are encouraged and excited about this change to make it happen. Teach other people about why the change is important. Bring them along for the ride and then say, no, this has to change. We've got no choice moving forward. But to go back to your point about change being ubiquitous these days, we have to become more comfortable with change than we ever have been in the past. And the risk with that is that sometimes organizations become so used to changing that they actually forget that there's almost 
comfortable and an uncomfortable level of change. Changing the rules that are fundamental to corporate culture can be incredibly challenging for individuals at a junior level, at a mid-management level, at a senior level, because it shakes the foundations of who we are and what we stand for. Changing the rules in a way that violates psychological safety is incredibly dangerous and damaging to an organization, potentially. I'll give you an example of an organization that's been in the media recently. Amazon initially promised their employees that they would be able to work from home. Recently, they were in the news about changing that perspective and saying that people had to return to the office. That is a psychological safety violation of change. And it's just, it's not an easy factor because people have made choices about where they live, where their kids go to school, where they, how long they take to commute to the office based on a premise that has been fundamentally altered. Adapting to that change is, you know, it's human nature, we'll be able to make our changes, you know, people will be able to move if they have to, they'll be able to change their kids' schools if they have to, they don't want to, and it will take time to undo the damage that they've done. But there is a subtler, more insidious damage that has been done here. And that is the idea that people could live their lives a certain way, and now they no longer can live their lives in that way. What will happen? Who knows? Perhaps the powers that be will change their mind over time. Perhaps they'll realize the, the damage that they've done to their organizations. But the point I made earlier about leaders being the change they want to see in the world is actually illustrated by that point. The leader who made the decision to flip-flop from, yes, you can work from home forever, to no, we need you back in the office, must have had a reason for doing it. We don't know what that reason is, but did they, are they the change they wish to see? I'm willing to bet that the leader who said, this is the way we need to make it happen, hasn't considered the consequences for the people in their organization. And I'm willing to bet that if they have to live the consequences of that themselves, that they're either the kind of people who want to be back in the office every single day, or they're the kind of people who believe that you can simply tell people what to do and not expect there to be ripples or consequences of, of an action that is deeply uncomfortable for people. That doesn't mean that change is going to be easy, but there are certainly better and less good ways of expressing change in a way that allows people to adapt and to see the reasons and to come around to it. Uh, time will tell whether this is something that actually is as dramatic as they have promised. But in the meantime, there has been damage. Hmm. So interesting. And, and so hard to, to make sure you don't do this wrong, as it might end up as Amazon. Uh, who, maybe we don't know the effects there, but definitely cause some friction. Um, so yeah, that's so important and, and uh, to get it right. You wrote the book uh, a little bit uh, a year ago or so called The Secret Arm in Leadership Marketing and the Power of People. And I think that's very, very interesting book. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about the key concepts and ideas you lay out in that book? Uh, 
and how that relates to to these topics as you see it what's the bearing idea in that well the title pretty much does what it says on the tin it's about leadership marketing and the power of people but what is the secret army the secret army is the groups of individuals who can make or break your company and that's not just the leaders of the organization and it's not just the foot soldiers who work in that organization it is actually your customers if we think about marketing models over the years we've kind of assumed that marketing was a funnel and that you put enough leads in the top and you get some dropping out at the bottom a few years ago hubspot reinvented that model and they turned it into a flywheel and instead of putting prospects and customers and employees as different parts of that journey almost disconnected from each other what they did is they brought them together in a circle and the principle behind that is if you actually look at serving your customers at the center of that principle and you rotate the efforts that you put around them the sales efforts the marketing efforts the customer support efforts that you put around those you actually create this beautiful positive momentum that creates the flywheel and the more effort you put on the outside the faster the flywheel spins that's kind of the principle behind the secret army leadership marketing and the power of people because it's actually about identifying what is it that drives your organization what is it that drives your people what is it that makes your customers delighted and when you do that you're able to understand well if this creates joy and delight it therefore creates improved productivity it creates better efficiency at work it creates greater happiness at work which creates greater innovation which in turn creates greater customer happiness and success and so on and so on and the principles of the secret army leadership marketing and the power of people is about identifying what makes people come alive and then articulating that in a way that helps other people feel excited about that purpose as well It's a book about marketing but it's also a book about people and it's a book about understanding people and their psychology and what how they can make a change in the world. Obviously there are chapters on marketing, there are chapters on sales. One of my favorite chapters is the marketing striptease which is about how you make sure you reveal each layer of marketing information at the right time for your audience. But I think there are other elements that are just quite quirky and fun like guerrilla leaders you know who are the people in your organization who are making change happen because the organization needs that change not because you're telling them to do it but because it's the right thing to do other elements like relationships and chameleons how people change themselves in order to adapt to an organization and through all of this the principles of storytellers those who you know about in your organizations though who you don't know about and the power that we all have to be able to tell stories in a way that can inspire excite or change others perspectives and opinions on the world it's kind of a bit of a manifesto that was written because i'd experienced a lot of i wouldn't say bad leadership but leadership that i found lacking over the years leadership that didn't allow me to be extraordinary and i think that when people come to the office or not the office when they work from home because they have a sense of purpose 
something almost magical happens. They enjoy the work. And as a result, they feel more motivated to do a job that gives them something that isn't just a paycheck. And I think the world that we live in today and work in is so much more than just going to work to earn a paycheck. It's about the armies that we build up in our organizations, the people that we influence outside of our organizations, the way that we do something that helps us feel like we have created something of worth in the world. So if I can leave you with a, a single thought from the secret army, it is in everything that you do, try to find an element of work that you love. And as a leader, try to communicate that to your people. People are incredibly inspired by other people being inspired. It kind of becomes this beautiful cycle, much like HubSpot's flywheel. I think leaders often are reluctant to share their passion and their calling with the rest of their organizations. But it's indisputable. If you believe in what you're doing, if you're excited about what you're doing, sometimes even if you're angry about a cause that you're trying to overcome, or if you're frustrated by something that you're creating a better widget in order to solve that problem, you as a leader have the ability to get that information into people's hearts and minds. Sometimes you need a little bit of help to do it. Sometimes you need someone who can help you write the right speeches or create the right communication. But if that passion is there, there is always a way to be able to express that to your people so that they can go out into the world and feel like they're putting their best selves forward too. And that, I think, is something that I've always wanted to do and hopefully great leaders can help their people do too. Be the change they wish to see. Definitely. Well, that's so great. Thank you so much for uh, for letting us know all these uh, experiences, insights, and and uh, and uh, really, really good content around driving change in organizations. So, thank you so much, Gina. Just a last question for people who would like to know more about you or buy your book or so. Where can they find you? Check me out on LinkedIn, and please do connect. It's always a pleasure to get to know people, no matter where they come from. And if you heard this uh, podcast today, please say, hey, I heard you on a podcast. Let's talk. You can buy a copy of The Secret Army, Leadership, Marketing, and the Power of People on Amazon, uh, just about all over the world. Uh, don't believe them if they say there's only one copy left, because they are, in fact, printed on demand. So you'll be able to get a copy wherever you want. But please do reach out. Communication is about having that exchange of meaning and we are make meaning makers. That's what we're designed to do as human beings. So I look forward to exchanging some meaning with whomever is listening. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Gina. It was a pleasure to talk to you. And I wish you all the best with uh, verbalistics and everything you're uh, engaged in. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jacob. It's been a pleasure.